Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols, and I have a special announcement. Dream is starting what they're calling the Dream Hang, and the first event is going to be February 9th at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So what they're doing is they're going to bring a bunch of symbols down to the studio. They're going to, you know, you can test them out. They're going to have Scott Pellegrum there. He's going to be demoing. They're going to be recording stuff. They've got Telefunk and Mics as a partner for these events, so you get to see, you know, how these symbols respond under really nice high-end microphones in one of the most famous studios in the world. So February 9th at the Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. If you're in the area, you should definitely go down, hang out for the Dream Hang. Everything that will be there will be uh, available for purchase as well. And they'll be doing more and more of these as well. So definitely check out Dream's Facebook page for the event info. Again, that's February 9th, the Dream Hang at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals. Let's get this show rolling. Perfect. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, buddy. Uh, you know what? Right off the bat, you and I were guests on someone else's podcast. Oh, the New Zealand Drummer Podcast? Yeah, man. Nice. That was really cool. Uh, I can't tell you how excited he was. He was like, can you count me in the way you guys do on the podcast? I was like, yeah, sure, man. He's like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, what a That was a lot of fun. So the NZ Drummer Podcast, and uh, it, was, it was very cool. I was running down the list because I had never heard of that podcast before. I don't listen to a lot of drumming podcasts and I'm scrolling down and I see guest Mike Dawson. I'm like, get yeah. out of town. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's a great You're hang famous. because I mean he and I are both just super nerds about studio drumming. So that that's mm. we just went down that rabbit hole. It was fun. Nice. Really cool guy. Really fun podcast to do. And uh and I learned a new slang for complimenting someone. Oh yeah? He said, "He said, uh, I don't mean to keep pissing in your pocket, but I'm really." And then he went on to compliment me, and I was like, "Wait, does that mean you're saying something nice?" That was what an awful compliment. I know, and I, I was like, "Wait, that's your term for complimenting people? That you're pissing in their pocket?" I was like, "All right." I was like, that's fantastic. That's that's a Bob's your uncle right there. I'll take it. So if I ever drop that on you, that means that I'm in the midst of saying nice things about you. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't you know. ever say pissing to me. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about I just never, ever bring it up? <laughs> but apparently it goes well in New Zealand. It took me by surprise. So how's everything with you, man? It's doing good. I um, It's a new year, new me. No resolutions, but I'm 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 deciding to 
I'm at that uh, that breaking point where I've got this routine that I like to do every day to make sure I don't get worse. Okay. But now I'm feeling the need to change things up a bit. So just trying to determine, like, which of these exercises should I keep doing? Which should I expand on? What should I start every day with so I'm not doing the exact same thing first thing yeah. on the on the on the pad because I do I do like pad workout every day actually it's on the, the beatnik so and I had like a system like go through this sticking this sticking these accents but so I'm trying to mix it all up like go with the one that I have the least control of first so it's just kind of okay. this you know just trying to rethink like where do I need to push myself where do I need to just stay consistent because I haven't reached my goal yet you know it's, okay. it's that whole thing where you set a goal when it could take a decade to reach it well then do I not do anything else in the meantime? <laughs> do I just keep that, doing that, isn't that one thing? the toughest thing? thing? I think, man, uh, I guess one of the hardest things about being an online teacher primarily, obviously I you know, teach in person and teach camps and stuff, but dealing with my online students is trying to narrow their focus while also wanting to expand them as drummers. Like, yeah. uh, I do want you to work on that, and I want you to devote a lot of attention to it. But yeah, you're going to need to work on your hand speed and make sure you work on your foot speed. But how's your independence? Is it okay? <laughs> your feel sounds a little iffy. Rushing, you are rushing. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah what am I supposed yeah. to practice? It's it's very overwhelming for all of us. Yeah, the thing for me is I I, I don't have more time. I'm not going to magically have more time in a day. Right. So I still have this chunk of 45 minutes or whatever to dedicate to practicing and maintenance and pushing myself. So I have to let some things go. And some new things it's always a fine balance i don't think I've you know the tough out. thing is that we gained so many of the core skills that you and i have at a time where we had a lot more than 45 minutes a day and now you and i are both responsible for teaching people that started playing as adults and they they have your life and my life now as far as they have 45 free minutes to practice but they don't have those core skills yeah and that's what i think is so difficult because i look at it and go Dude, I had 15 minutes today. I got plenty done. It's like, well, yeah, but I also have 35 years of practice in my back yeah. or in my back pocket, you know, so in my back. Um, but <laughs> Got some back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying around 35 years. It's killing me. Um, but, yeah, so I think that that's also part of our role as educators is to make sure that we're always in the mindset of the student and in the lifestyle of the student and the history of the student and thinking, okay, how would I attack it if I was in your position? Because I am not in your position. And that was always what drove me nuts as an attendee of clinics was when pro drummer guy would stand on stage and give me advice as if I was him. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, but the, I can't yeah. play any of the things you can play. So <laughs> yeah, no. what were you doing when you were 12? <laughs> Stud. I got to be real uh, careful with that, too, because a lot of what I'm teaching these days is kind of conceptual. It's definitely upper level, I would think, college, mm -hmm. grad school level, but not technically difficult, just conceptually. And I'm like, there's so many steps along the way that I'd, I've forgotten about, like studying classical music and learning how to shape a phrase, like things that man we could spend a year just how to shape a rock beat but i'm and just you take it for it. granted now yeah, i'm just assuming that yeah every time you play something shape it like don't just play right. the same dynamic every single time that right. kind of stuff assuming that everyone has worked through stick controls so they can do all the singles and double combinations fluidly <laughs> man uh, and and yeah maybe even bump your beatnik up to uh does H stand for hard? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, yeah, yeah. Because I feel real good on M. Is <laughs> medium. that medium? <laughs> yeah, feel. It's funny because I I do what I do is my routine with that is I have it on uh, 
H. That's like my default. Okay. So after I get through like a, a repetition, I always scroll back to see, well, where was it at on the easy? <laughs> where was it right. at on the yeah. medium? Because the H is frustrating. If I can get 75, 80 on H, I mean, I know I'm locked in. Then you scroll yeah. to the expert level and it's like 30%. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, I, I we talked about this when I first started this journey onto working on my time, which is the revelation I had that I don't think you get better at time. I think you get better at recognizing time and fixing it. And the faster you do that, the better you have good time. But if you think about it, when someone has bad time, they're not sitting there dragging or rushing knowing that it's happening. Yeah, they have That's no what awareness. makes it bad time. They don't know it's happening. So the sooner you can recognize it, the sooner you could fix it. If those people could recognize it, it's not like they're – so bad at the drums they can't speed back up or slow down they just don't know what's happening in the first place and that's what i notice as i'm getting back into the time thing again is i'm starting to hear the inconsistencies between the notes i'm hearing whether things are rushing or dragging because there's a point where i think you can hear that you're off you just mm-hmm. don't know how you're off yeah. so then you yeah that's the frustrating you know, kind window yeah. tightrope back and forth right yeah that was the worst for me and i'm still struggle with it day to day but that was a good six month period where nothing was passable like literally nothing i played was acceptable because i could hear that it was all over the place i just couldn't right. get my reflexes to tighten it up right. <laughs> yeah and that's i think that that's what is starting to slowly come back to me now is i'm hearing it quicker and quicker i'm making those micro adjustments faster and Hopefully, I will make those micro adjustments so fast that they're imperceivable by any of the listeners. So to them, it just sounds like I have good time. It's like, yeah. well, I, I recognized it in the exact moment it was happening and corrected for it. I think and, that was one of the things that, that Steve Gagg kind of dropped in one of his first videos. Just like, think about it. All you got to do is think about it. Like, I think the right. question was, how do you stay in the pocket or how do you keep you know from rushing during fills? He's like, well, you just think about it. Know that your tendency is to rush during fills and be aware of it and don't do it. <laughs> it's so that, simple. It's such a weird thing because I think we are all trying to get to the point that we sit on the instrument and we're on cruise control. But because it, it's very difficult for three to four minutes to be completely hyper aware of everything you're doing while still feeling like you're free to to make it feel good. Yeah. And it's it's a weird balance and we all go through it and you know doing the podcast that you and I did as at, and being interviewed and then I did another one after that called the Drum Shuffle podcast and in both of those I realized that the one thing that both of these podcast hosts enjoy about this podcast is that it reminds them that we're all in this together and we're still going through the same things Yeah, and that you and I are not sitting up here like, okay, we've achieved something. Here's how it's done. We're going like, holy crap. How am I not any better at this? I thing? mean, there's a reason why the older you get as a drummer, the, the grumpier you get. Cause you realize there is no end. <laughs> there's no end. I think Bernard, no end. Bernard Purdy might be the only aging drummer that I feel like he's just having fun. Now he can do no wrong. Yeah. Everything he plays yeah. is perfect. That's yeah. I think that's part of his gift is just natural sense of music. But I think of you know my all my heroes every day, every day you know they're like man that sucked like what was I doing they like yeah, replaying yeah, yeah. the gig like man that one song I missed that one accent it wasn't as tight as I it mean, should have been shouldn't it be that just 
like we go to Nam and Vinny and Dave are like holding hands and skipping down the aisles. They're so good, but they're Smoking not happy cigars. about where they're at. Yeah, just like ah, we killed it. We won. We won the drums, but it doesn't I happen. I don't ever oh. want to get to that point. Good grief, that would be terrible. No. To just give that's, up, like, that, I'm good enough, I did it, I've achieved it. Yeah, that's what makes this uh, an adventure for all of us, and it's also what bonds us together, because we're all going through it together. Now, we did this last year, want to do it again. Give me either a phrase or something that you're hearing in the world right now that you either, <laughs> one, don't want to say yourself, or you want to stop <laughs> hearing people say it. So last year, we had content, oh, was yeah. yours, right? Yeah, I think Especially I was pretty, creamy content. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was think I was pretty good about not using it uh, in a in a marketing way ever. I think yes, I think, and I know that I never said crushing it in 2018 or crush it in 2018. <laughs> so those were that was mine. That was yours. Do you have one for 2019? Uh, the big one, which I texted you. I never want to call someone or be called an influencer, and I don't want to ever hear anyone call anyone else an influencer ever again. <laughs> Get rid that of the word. A, Either you're a uh, good. You're inspiring at your craft or you're not. Right. Influencer, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, that is – I mean I, I I feel the same way you do. Either you have an impact or you don't. Yeah. But – and if you call yourself an influencer, get that's when I know you're looking for like a Lay's potato chip endorsement. Get like a you're damn going to gig. That, <laughs> that, that is the shirt that Steve Jordan should wear. Get a damn gig. Just if like all black you got shirt, white text. That, all you got is hashtag influencer. I'm sorry. Right. Go play a gig, man. Go play a gig. <laughs> I'm glad I've never used that hashtag. All right, here's mine. And I don't know if either of us do it because I don't listen to this podcast back anymore. But I, it drives me nuts when other people do it on radio shows, <clears throat> in drum videos. Every time I hear it, it drives me nuts. And I don't want either of us to ever interview ourselves. And what I mean by that is this is what, what drives me nuts. I'll show you. <clears throat> Let me get ready. Do I think Pearl is poised to make a move? Yes, I think Pearl is poised to make a move. Do I think Ludwig has something in the gates? Yes, I think Ludwig has something in the gates. I hate that oh. stuff. Oh. I can't. It's oh, like, hey. yeah, I said stuff. I'm all good. But I can't stand that. Like, stop. If Mike, if you have a question, ask me. I'll answer it. But if I have a question, I'll ask you. But I don't need to ask it of myself. That's like the selfie version of an interview. Yes, yes. It's, a, it's an interview selfie. I can't stand that. Do I think Aaron Rodgers needs a new coach? Of course I think Aaron Rodgers needs a new coach. Like, oh. You know who does that really well in humor is the comedian Chris D'Elia. Like he'll oh, okay. he'll start his podcast every once in a while just asking himself the most absurd questions like rapid fire. Right. Should I be better at this? Yes, of course. He just keeps going and going. It's it's funny, oh. but yeah, he's he's I, been a big inspiration for me for like because he his whole comedy is calling out the BS that's in the world at large, especially nice. in media. So I, when I see him going after somebody, he he does like Instagram pick of the week, and it's always some crazy influencer hashtag influencer okay. that he's right. just ripping the shred. So he does that. <laughs> it's funny. I agree. I will never ask myself. Any questions ever? Yeah, no, that's we can't we can't do it. We can't go there. And if we do go there, listeners, please let us know. I'm, I'm told call us out because I'll tell you right now, everyone has called us out on not called us out, but they have mentioned. I do clinics, and they'll raise their hand. I say, "Yeah, sir, uh, 
do you feel that you're creating good content this year while crushing it? Into, I'm like, you podcast listening son of a gun. Like, come on, man. Uh, oh, people you, know too much about our lives. Do I have another one? I, I mean, the influencer one was a big one for me. I just asked myself a question, by the way. It totally, <laughs> no, that's totally different. skated past It's you. okay to be slightly rhetorical. It's different when you actually announce it. And when you – okay. When you ask yourself a question you don't know the answer – that's okay. Uh, when you ask yourself a question, scripted. you already have the answer. <laughs> that's that's. I'm not. Do I think Questlove has chops? Of course, I think Questlove has chops. That's when it's a problem. <laughs> oh goodness! I so, think, how do you feel about uh, independence and bass drum polyrhythms? How do you think you about, about uh, Gilholm's uh, beat <laughs> from? Has that been on loop for the last twenty minutes? <laughs> Gilholm crushed it. Great intro groove. Thank you. Uh, we're going to fade his beat back in because this is a really cool one. This- <laughs> just, I just spit a little raw air all over the place. Oh. So he's, it says it's pronounced his name is Gilholm. He's from Montreal. I don't speak French, so I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. But that beat was inspired by uh, Joey Wonker's vibe, which I think he nailed it. So he said the key to getting that sound was to play super soft. Um, and he's actually, he actually has his, his snare drum hand resting on his thigh, so he can't actually hit the drum that hard. Super cool. And there's one microphone above the bass drum. That's kind of the trick, he says, to getting that sound. I love that vibe. Awesome. Very cool. All right, well, let's get into some educational stuff. <clears throat> so this is, did you say this was a fellow Canadian, Daniel Bedard? Yes, he is. Indeed. Another French Canadian. Boom. So he wrote uh, in your Rock and Jazz Clinic article, he wrote uh, an article called The Polyrhythmic Bass Drum Workout. And it's based off of what Vinny was doing on Jing Chi's uh, self-titled album. And the track is called uh, Stand Key. And at the 423 mark, Vinny starts hitting the China. And you can feel like, okay, the spacing is non-syncopated. The spacing between every China hit is there. He's grooving in 4-4. But that China's not lining up just right. And what's happening is he's playing a four over five polyrhythm. He's hitting the China on every fifth, sixteenth note. So one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and uh, going over the bar line. Or you could fill it in five four, but since the groove's in four four, you're just gonna have to keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take five bars to get back to the downbeat of one, or you can round it off whenever you feel like it. Now, do you want to play a little clip of this? Yeah, let's drop in the uh, that section of the track. Is it's how do you spell? It's two words: stand key. S T A N K E Y. Stand key. when I hear stuff like that is is what is the drummer thinking? Do you think Vinny is thinking, first of all, do you think he's thinking what he's doing at all or is it just something that he's he's practiced enough to where it comes out naturally? Do you think he's counting the 4-4? Four, four? 
Do you think he's counting the yeah, five? I don't think he's counting the five. I, I think, and I guess what I wonder is, is his brain in a place of a polyrhythmic area where he's hearing those as two individual metronomes going off at the mm-hmm. same time? Like his groove is one and his china is another. Or does he hear it the way I almost was singing it where it's just accenting every fifth note one e and a two e and a three and a four which e would assume that he's thinking in four four which is exactly not the pete magadini approach where you should be able to hear both at the same time correct and and i <clears throat> would never ever pretend that i could get inside Vinny's head so i have no idea <laughs> i would think one he's not thinking at all but i guess the one thing that would be curious to me and if i could ask him i would love to know did you work this out earlier in your drumming and then decide it's happening or did you really think at this point in time i feel that this song needs to actually feel stretched so i'm going to insert a pulse that is longer than every fourth 16th note because that gives you the the impression that you're stretching time and the tempo is almost slowing down Mm -hmm. you know again we can't know exactly what's happening you know wouldn't it be awesome if we had a uh being John Malkovich, but it was being Vinny Calyuta portal. You can go yes. into. <laughs> I'm not spray. completely positive that hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's been many different people at many different times. But, oh, but I mean, I my assumption would be his brain processes things so quickly that all of that that you just uh, you were pontificating happened simultaneously. Mm, yes, I practice yeah. this stuff. Yes, this needs something different. I'm going to do fives like on an instant. That's what I would assume because he does so much of this stuff where if you transcribe yeah. it, you're like, that sounded like drums down a stairway. But you transcribe right. it like, holy crap, he was subdividing sevens in the triplets and all kinds of crazy stuff. He knows stuff. exactly what he was doing. Right. Um, yeah. So so Daniel starts with that as that's what triggered this article. But thank you, Daniel, for not starting the article with that groove because then there's just – I'll just turn the page. Right. Um, if exercise one is going to take me a month, I'm good. Uh, so what he does is he starts off with a pretty simple four over three polyrhythm. So you got eighth notes, or you can think of it as a uh, three over two. So he's got eighth notes happening on the hi-hat and then playing every third 16th note. Um, so if you're on the bass drum, so your hi-hats are playing one and two and three and one and two and three and and then he's got the bass drum on one E and a two E and a three E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a. And if I stop counting, now this is just a pulse. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it polyrhythmic is if we got rid of those hi-hats, that could be any – my snapping could be quarter notes, could be eighth notes. You could turn into anything you want. And then you can modulate through that polyrhythm. So he starts us there and then just builds from there. I think – and this is one word, you know – Going deeper into what's on the page for me is really where the the extra value is. Like number one, for instance, he doesn't go into this. The whole the whole article is in sixteenth based subdivision. So this is a three four pattern. The pulse is the the hi hat one and two and three and. But I like to also say, well, what if the bass drum becomes the pulse? So the four becomes your pulse. Now you're playing triplets, and the hi hat is playing every two triplet notes so we notice right. the, like on the, without changing the pattern can you hear it as 16th notes with the bass drum playing the counter rhythm or can you hear it as triplets with the hi-hat playing the counter rhythm that's the that's going down the rabbit hole of all of this stuff and i think what you and i talked about um 
previously about this stuff is it's not – this is where you and I as educators kind of get into stuff with our students and we have this little battle and Pete definitely had it with me. I was the feisty little 24-year-old like, this is stupid because it's hard. <laughs> right. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time was that I wasn't going to be the one to be playing this. Someone else in my band was going to be the one doing it. I was going to be holding it down for them right. with full confidence that I knew what they were doing. It wasn't weird. It's like, oh, cool. You're just hitting every third 16th note or you're hitting every fifth 16th note. I'll support you in that. And I know where your phrase ends. Yeah. And then, yeah. So think of there's been a few bass players that have schooled me on subdivision and phrasing. And in most cases, this is what they do. They will. So you're, if we're playing in 3-4, they start playing every third 16th note, and then all of a sudden they start playing phrases that are that fit within that four-note grouping. So it sounds like they're in 4-4 four, four, and I'm in 3-4, but you know it, it would throw me off. And so then I would just shift. My ear would jump. I'd be screwed. I'd need them to give me a clear downbeat to get me back on right. the one. So that, like you said, I think practicing this stuff is the ear training. Can you... Can you intellectualize a four over three without losing sense of where the three is? And then can you flip it and yeah. intellectualize the four against the three without losing the sense where the four is? Like where both of the pulses can sure. live. Um, so it's the ear training for me is the real value. I, and again, that's assuming years of independence practice to where you could essentially sight read this page and then say, well, what what's the point? Like. There's yeah. an independence challenge just to learning it, and that's obviously really important. But once you do that, well, what's the musical th application of this stuff? You think Pino Palladino doesn't play groupings of three in 16th notes or you know, yeah. groupings of five? It's like, of course. And, and that's what gives you that relaxed feel on the kit is knowing what's rhythmically possible, what's around you. I hear a lot of polyrhythmic stuff, even though a lot of times it will round off by the end of the measure. So it never materializes into a full polyrhythm. But I hear those odd groupings that are evenly spaced a lot in in vocals. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. A lot of people, especially if it's anything rap or hip hop related, where they're phrasing faster vocal lines and they're accenting these things, especially when you get into that world of triplets, if you're feeling hearing every fourth eighth note triplet or mm -hmm. fourth sixteenth note triplet. And I think that that's where all of these things kind of come together. You have groupings, subdivisions, creating polyrhythms, which allow for modulations. And yeah, and then phrasing within that. So you're not just playing, only playing the downbeat of the four. You actually have, right. now that new pulse becomes an option for you to play on the E and the and and the uh and right. combinations yeah. within that. Yeah, it goes goes insane quickly. It does. And I, and I think that in all honesty, Daniel actually did a really good job of taking that insanity and making it a little more basic. You know, we start with number one, eighth notes on the hi-hat, every third, 16th note on the bass drum, put it into three, four, rounds off at the end of the measure, we're good. You only have three quarter notes worth of time to figure out. <laughs> right. Um, and you can literally look at the chunks and go like, okay, I've got one and a. Uh. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Take a break, get a T. <laughs> Two and I'm done. And then three E and sweet. Yeah. Come back and do it again. <clears throat> so that's not too bad. Then when we get to number two, he brings in the backbeat. Well, by bringing in the backbeat, it's not going to work in 3-4, so we have to double the measure. Now we have a measure of 6-4. And once you have that backbeat in, I think that's right there. If you could just do number two on this page, eighth notes on the hi-hat, 
two and four on the snare drum. Well, in this case, two, four, and six. Mm-hmm. And then every third 16th note on the bass drum. Just that one exercise would serve you so well. And you will hear that in so much music. You'll hear people playing that on keys. You'll hear it on guitar, bass lines, vocal lines. Uh, but obviously he goes further than that and starts doubling up those notes. Yeah, I think it's a good way to, to learn the polyrhythm is you know play that, that backbeat version in 6-4. So, you know, every six beats, it resolves back to one. But right. again, the application in, of my subconscious says, well, it should be in 4-4 because 90% of what I'm doing is in 4-4. So right. can I count in four while playing example two, which is in six? And then can I get through four bars of that and resolve it in a way that makes sense? Right. Like that's where I start transitioning into well, how could I actually use it on a gig? Because I've often do I actually play in six four, almost never, but I play in four four every day. But I want to be able yeah. to do this and make this this effect of playing across the bar line. Yeah. So again, he doesn't do that in the article because it would take up so much page space to do four bars of four four to have it resolve, but that would be the next step that I would do. So example one, I would focus on hearing each part as the pulse. And example two, I would immediately thrust it into 4-4 four, four and see if I can resolve it properly. Yeah, uh, so I just put out a new course on odd groupings, and it's it's going to be a lot of courses. So I put out a course on the threes. And the one thing mm. that I did with every exercise, whether it was on the pad, whether it was on the kit as a groove, maybe on your bass drum, groupings of threes, and, and it was in 16th notes. Uh, or even as a fill, as an improvisation thing, was we learned the one-measure version, the two-measure version, and mm-hmm. then finally the three-measure version, which is like an, an infinite loop. But getting used to like, okay, well, when do I run out of time? I've got one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and uh Okay, so I'm going to stop, and then I have to a one. Mm-hmm. In that two-measure version, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and one. Okay, so I have to round that one off. And once you learn those things, you learn how to get out of it. Because rarely, like you said, rarely are you going to stay in that cycle. Like, I'll just hit every third 16th note for the next six months. Like, yeah. you're, you're probably going to want to round it off. Um, and it's also important, like we were talking about, when other musicians play this stuff, a lot of times, especially if it's an improvised thing, you don't get a heads up that they're starting to do it. Right. So, right. So it's you have to jump in one. in the middle. Yeah. No, they, yeah. It's just all of a sudden you go, uh, that's the third time I've heard that exact spacing. Okay. He or she is now in groupings of three, five, seven, whatever. And I can jump in, in the middle because I know if I can find, and that's the and starting from there then I know where the next one is and the next one is, and then I can finish the phrase with them and join them. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I would actually like to talk to Vinny about this stuff because I'm assuming he doesn't have these conversations with words in his head, but I bet that's right. what happens. I bet he just processes stuff so quickly because he's you know, mastered the Gary Chafee books and all that, that right. things when he was very young. Kind of goes back to what we were really originally talking about. Like, you got to set the foundation for all this stuff before you can even begin to yeah. conceptualize it on a macro level. It's really tough. It's uh. It is, and uh, thankfully uh, to us, we have people like Daniel writing articles like this. We have um, podcasts where we, myself and Mike, can let you know that with 60-plus years of combined drumming experience, we still have no idea what we're doing, and uh, and we're struggling right along with you. All right, so check out Daniel Bedard's article. It's a polyrhythmic bass drum workout, and definitely check out Jing Chi's self-titled album from 2002. 
uh, and the track we're listening to is called Stan Key, like the actual name, Stanley Key. All right, now on to somebody that's featured, and his name is Bobby Sanabria. Indeed. So Bobby Sanabria, this is our last week of digging through the January issue, so uh, next week we'll be cracking open February, but Bobby Sanabria uh, is in a short piece in this issue that we are calling Drum Wisdom, which is where we interview kind of notable educators or like sage type personalities to just get tidbits of advice and um, so it's not a full-on bio kind of interview it's more like let's let's find out what you really think about the educational side of of what you do and bobby is a great ambassador uh, which he describes as just american music it's all of america not just that was such an eye-opener for me and i don't think i'll ever be able to not think of it that way anymore because he expresses that South America is America. Right. Yeah. So There's no this reason isn't, to you don't have to keep referring to this as some foreign distant thing. This is your culture as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's also it's easy cool. to, to kind of overlook the fact that Puerto Rican is American as well. Actually, United States of America. So right. their culture is just as much as, you know, and, you know, the Puerto Rican community, which he's a part of from New York City, had such a huge influence on the early days of the jazz vernacular, which I think is often um, overlooked because we we kind of assume that it came from New Orleans and there's marching band elements and there's African elements. And we forget that there's a huge Latin American influence on what we think of as jazz. We think of any bebop, post-bop, hard bop, big band record. Inevitably, there's going to be a Latin style tune on Always. there, yeah. and and some of the most influential drummers of all time, Roy Haynes. If you really look at his vocabulary, it's kind of like a timbale player. <laughs> you know, it's it's not yeah. it's not rudimental drumming. It's it's Latin inspired. And I think even as a young drummer of our age, uh, after this era, but I think there's a moment for all of us. If you went through school music, where the first time you have to play night in Tunisia and you go like, okay, well I'll just go, I'll just go get the CD. And then you listen, yeah. you're like, yeah, I, I guess I don't know that beat. I don't yeah. know what the hell that is. <laughs> Cause it's a you hybrid. Know? It's not, it's not yeah. straight from Cuba. It's, it's a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. And that's Art Blakey's version, which also has African influences. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, it's a mishmash and, and Bobby kind of embraces that. Like I'm Puerto Rican, but I grew up in the Bronx, so I've got hip hop and R and B, and also this rich Puerto Rican American New York City culture, which includes Tito Puente and all the the legends of the Latin jazz world. Right. But then he's also, you know, studying Brazilian music and everything like the, the American music, which is hundreds of genres. Right. Well, and I mean, he just if you guys. One, haven't seen Bobby Sanabria play. My first time seeing him was obviously the Modern Drummer Festival. And that was the first time I think I'd ever seen a full-on Latin jazz ensemble on the Modern Drummer Festival. I don't know if it was, but it was the first time I saw it. Yeah, it's like Um, a Latin big band. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but if you need any validation, this guy has performed with Dizzy Gillespie, Tito Puente, uh, Celia Cruz, Arturo Sandoval. So... Uh, this isn't some cat trying to break into the scene. This is, mm. this is the real deal. This guy's done it. And, you know, and he also is what you would hope for out of somebody that's going to come out on the Modern Drummer Festival and lead a Latin big band. Is He's got that larger than life personality. Yeah. His persona, it's, you know, it's got that just 
I've got this. We're in this together. And uh, he's not shrinking behind the kit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's leading from the drum set, which you don't see too often in that right. world. I think, I mean, think of Tito Puente as being this celebrity band leader, but he played timbales. He didn't have a drum set kind of obscuring him. Um, right. So yeah, he's, let's drop in actually audio from that. This is Modern Drummer Festival 2006. about his drumming in particular is I can't identify any obvious influences or genres to me. It's it's just a drummer playing percussion and drum set at the same time. Yeah, I mean it's it's he creates rhythm rather than beats. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm going let me do my my Montuno beat and my uh <laughs> Mozambique beat and Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. no, I I and I think that's a really cool thing and and like you said, it's it's very cool to see him leading from the drum set. The other thing is that I love that in a lot of clips that I've seen him play, he's he's got percussionists, so he's not trying to be the one man show. If if he's playing by himself without other percussionists, he can do that. But if the percussionists are there, then he knows how to complement them with a drum set. Yeah, you know, and it, and he kind of shows it like the strictness that we're taught, like don't play the conga pattern. If you have a conga player, eh, I mean, if you do it with respect and with taste, you can kind of play whatever the heck you want, but as long right. as you know what everyone's doing and everyone's role, he's, he's not, he's certainly not playing patterns. He's pretty free, right. which I yeah, love. It's, it's pretty awesome. He talks in the article that you guys have about how important it is for young musicians to understand the history of what they're doing and where it's coming from. He talks about how Led Zeppelin, how they were super, super into blues and black American culture. And then you hear that in the groove of their playing and in the depth. I mean, they're not, no one thinks of Led Zeppelin as a basic rock band. I mean, there's so much depth that we're still decades and decades later trying to unravel all of that stuff. And he also talks about David Garibaldi and Zorro being so entrenched in R&B and the history of R&B. And I, I agree. I think that whatever you're doing, you do have to go backwards and understand the history so that you know what led up to what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. The culture. He's real big on studying the culture just as much as the music. Because if you don't know the personalities of people who play this music, then you're, you're always going to be imitating it. If you, you know, right. it's, it's like trying to learn a, a true to speak a, an extra another language with the true dialect. Versus just I can have a conversation and get you know find where the bathroom is. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you have a real deep, meaningful conversation with someone from Spain if you've only studied Spanish for six months versus six right. years, or only learned out of a book versus going to a neighborhood and just trying to have a conversation with someone? And just seeing those building blocks of like, oh, okay, now that I see this, I understand that the th- the person that I thought was responsible for all of this influence on me 
was actually influenced by this thing that happened 10 years before them. And I mean, do I think I'd be here without Jim Chafin? No, I do not think I'd be here without Jim Chafin. (laughs) All right. You got to know your history. From our sponsor. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) All right. Anyway, yeah, check out Bobby Snobbery's work. I mean, we, we can't do it justice in this short segment. He's, he's been nominated for multiple Grammys. He's got a, you know, he teaches at Manhattan school of music and runs a Latin jazz band there. And he's got, he's, he's, he's a true ambassador of, of truly American art. So check him out. Uh, take a lesson with him if you can. So now our uh, sponsor is dream symbols and they have something very particular. They wanted me to talk about. I just have to find the file. Where did it go? <laughs> so they are doing these special, um, they're calling them dream symbol hangs. And the first one is going to be February 9th. It's at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So they're going to bring uh, a bunch of symbols for everyone to check out. They're going to have uh, Scott Pellegrom is going to be there to play and hang. Um, they're also going to be uh, bringing in telefunken microphones. So everything's going to be recorded. You're going to hear what dream cool. symbols sound like being recorded in one of the most legendary uh, studios in the world. So again, that is... February 9th. So if you're in the Muscle Shoals area, which would include, if you're well for a road trip, Nashville, Memphis, Atlanta, Birmingham. Um, and plus, just go see the famous studio. There's so much history at that place. But the Dream Hang, February 9th. The time is to be determined, but you can factor in pretty much the whole day. Uh, so that's that. They're going to be doing more of these as well. So if you have any suggestions for studios in your area that you would like Dream to go to, Feel free to send over those suggestions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That's really cool. Really cool. Super cool. So, all right, well, now. I look forward to seeing some footage from that. Yeah, they're, they're taking a whole film crew, too. So apparently they're going to be doing tons of, of videos. And if you're there, you can be part of it. So check it out. Nice. February 9th. Um, you can go to Dream Symbols on Facebook. They'll have an event up soon. All right. So well, let's talk about a drum. LCD. What does LCD stand for, Mike? Son of a biscuit. You know that's Love Custom Drums. That's our good buddy, Buddy Love. Our good buddy, Buddy Love. Our good buddy, Buddy Love. So, yeah, we just reviewed, again, this is in the January issue, so you've probably already seen it, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. uh, Love Custom Drums and their partner company, Legato Symbols, teamed up to do a B20 bronze snare drum, two in fact. One's a 6.5 by 14, one is a 5.5 by 14. Yeah, so 6.5 by 14, 5.5 by 14, they are both made from a rolled B20 symbol blank from Turkey. And Man, they, I, I mean, we'll, we'll listen to these, but I was blown away by, especially on the 5.5, how just incredible it sounded at its high and medium tunings um not that you couldn't go low with these things because you can but i kind of feel like we've gotten to a point with our instagram drumming that almost every snare you can detune it enough throw a bunch of gaff on it and it'll go into the aaron sterling thing so i'm actually not that impressed by those tunings anymore because i i i know that almost every drum i have can do that what I am impressed by is what does a drum sound like when it's cranked a bit because that's mm-hmm. when things get really funky because you've got so many overtones going on. So why don't we take a listen to the uh, 
You want to do just the five and a half by 14? Yeah, we'll just do the five and a half. If you want to hear the six and a half, it's on moderndrummer.com, linked in the show notes. The only difference, besides from the depth, is the six and a half has die cast hoops, the five and a half has triple flange. But let's check out the five and a half right now. I'm going to say that might be my favorite high tuning snare drum that I've heard since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, it's it's powerful. And that's been kind of buddy at Love, at Love Custom Drums mission is to make drums for people to play out live. <laughs> like these are designed okay. to sound great in a room if you got a cut over a band or just, you know, because like you said, you can make any drum sound good in a studio with a bunch of tape, but you take that right. detuned taped up drum to a gig and it doesn't sound so good. <laughs> it, right. it needs to be processed and EQ'd and compressed. These drums, yeah. they just sound right with microphones, without microphones. Plenty of headroom volume-wise, but also plenty of musicality, sensitivity. So I like his whole mission, which is to give drummers tools to go use. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also love the details. If you guys get a chance, please check this drum out because you need to see the lugs. I've never seen lugs like this before. They're, this is almost a free-floating shell. This is as minimal of contact as you could possibly have with a shell. The blank, like you said, when Mike says a raw blank, what he's talking about is cymbal companies get these raw blanks of metal that are going to then become – they're like flat discs. They're going to become cymbals and they're going to be shaped into cymbals. But they are not polished. They're not lathed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just raw, ugly metal, which is quite beautiful. And that's what this is made out of. So it's – the cool thing that I love, I love any time you can have – a drum or a cymbal and know that you and I don't have a replica. Yours will have a different patina than mine. Yeah, right. Yours will be a different color than mine. We might have the same drum, but also the fact that it's made out of this sheet of kind of alloy, it, you might even have some different characteristics in yours than I will. Yeah. I, I, mean, I love that. And they're all handmade and, and Buddy told me these are incredibly difficult to make, so he doesn't plan on doing them often or too many of them. So. Okay. <laughs> And I mean, you're, it's not, it's pretty affordable for what it is. Uh, when I say affordable, that's always relative to what we're talking about, but to have this much, uh, craftsmanship into a drum, you're looking at about 950 bucks for the five and a half and about $1,200 for the six and a half. But these are definitely, they look like they would be collector's pieces, but like you said, buddy makes them so they are meant to be played out and used. And uh, final word on the lugs, those are 
machined aluminum single point tube lugs. So those are super lightweight. They're not going to affect the resonance of the shell, but they're also not going to strip out. So cool. Definitely really cool, cool stuff. All right. We'll check out the Love Custom Drum slash Legato B20 Bronze Snares. Uh, very cool stuff. And you can hear the six and a half, like Mike said, on moderndrummer.com. Let's get into some listener questions. Okay. So I was kind of holding off on some comments uh, earlier in our discussion about time because that's one of the questions. But before we get to that one, let's tackle two other ones. So this one is from Dante. Um, okay. What would you guys recommend for someone who wants to work on new concepts and improve their drum set playing when they are unable to be by a drum set whenever they please? Man, what a great question. It is a good question. Um, you want me yeah. to jump in first? Yeah, go ahead, man. This is kind of my whole approach to practice because I I want to be able to practice new ideas and be creative whether or not I'm at home, I'm still on the road, I'm somewhere else, I have sure. sticks, I don't have sticks. So what I do is I incorporate the element of improvisation and composition of everything that I'm practicing. So if I'm doing page one of stick control, I'll shed the exercises as they're written for a few minutes, and then I'll say, can I just freely go between these examples without thinking about it? And that immediately puts me in a more creative mindset, and I inevitably discover combinations that sound cool, that I might want to expand on or that are really tricky. They're like blind spots in my technique. So that's, and I do that with everything. If I'm working on independence on the kit, as soon as I get one page of exercises, as an example, I then, can I, be, can I improvise with that material rather than can I turn the page and learn the next most difficult thing? So right. I think for me, it's just a mindset of, you don't need a drum set to be creative. You don't need a drum set to push yourself you just yeah. need to be thinking creatively and 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 thinking about the end result which is when you do get on the kit you want to just be able to express yourself and not have to work through stick control and new breed on the time that you're on the kit so do all that crap on a practice pad i agree um and i think that that process and finding finding those things while being creative to me, that's actually the journey of finding my voice because as I'm working on stick control, I'm well aware that you have this book. I'm well aware that Scott Pellegrom has this book. Mm -hmm. It's not secret material. Now, what am I going to do with it? So somebody that has studied out this book doesn't call me out and say, Oh, page one of stick control. That would be like the worst (laughs) thing that could ever happen. It's like, what? No, I know I made it up. Right, left, left, left. So, uh, so yeah. So that's the journey. Is then okay? Cool. Now, how do I turn this into something else? The other, another practical thing you could do. Let's say that you do have a good amount of car time. Try singing like drum speak, singing different rhythms against a metronome. So I've got a metronome here. I'm going to put it on at 90 BPM, and I'll put my subdivision at quarter notes. So if I have this on in my car. You can work on things like every third sixteenth note. Got oh, that was about to be every fifth sixteenth. Got 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 fifth. Got 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 Or just sing different rhythms and and think like. A lot of times I'll sing and then I'll think how would I play that. So if this is my time, I might think. Three, four. Glad to get doom. 
And then I'm thinking, like, how? What is glat do gat do? Right, that's yeah. a flam. <laughs> is there a kick in there? Um, and then, the, then I also think about the things that I I know and I want to play. I don't need to learn them, but I always play them really bad. One thing that I'm that I always want to have in my playing, and I still am really bad at it, is the people that do these. I almost don't know how to explain them because they definitely don't have their own name, but they're almost like bass drum fills. Where somebody would be playing, cat, and they go, doom, 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 doom. Yeah. And I, I, those bass drums are not in the right spot. I go, doom, 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 doom. And it's like, I want that. Or like, doom, doom, doom. And I always hear that stuff and I go, oh, that's so cool. There's so much low end and it almost feels like a bass player sliding down, you know, their low string. And I just go, like, oh, I want to do that. doom, 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 doom. But so those are things that I'll just I'll work on singing them in the car against a metronome. So that's another thing you could do. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're both kind of hitting that the the concept of visualization is way more effective than you might think. If you can, if yeah, you can see yourself not doing a big it, part of it. Yeah, if you yeah. can see yourself doing something or hear yourself doing something, then it's just a matter of making that actually happen. But if you can't think it and see yourself doing it, you're never going to get there. You're going to be in some trouble. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, this is uh, our last question because this could take a few. This is from Evan. Could you please talk about how we can practice time other than using the beatnik metronome? Um, it would be great if we could join you both on your quest for better time. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I know that uh, time is something that, as we talked about before, it's something that you have to be aware of. And by hoping that you're good at it, that is you know, that's Russian roulette with your drumming. Like maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but it's, I think you have to really care about it and caring about time is what makes you better at time. Everyone that has fantastic time that I've spoken to, there was never a secret method to it where I'm like, Oh, I've never thought of that. It was always somebody was like, I don't know. I just really like, I really want to have good time. So I work on it a lot, but their methods of working on it are as simple as, I play along to records or I play along to a click. It's really the fact that they were on the drum set for 20 minutes each day being aware of their time and tr- and not being satisfied with whatever time they have. And they're trying to get better at it. I will say for me, a lot of it is just this going down um, the staircase process of starting with a metronome that is the subdivision of whatever I'm working on and then slowly becoming more and more responsible for the time. So if I start working on a pattern out of 16th notes, my metronome starts at 16th notes. And in that case, I'm responsible for none of the time. I'm just trying to match my drumming up to that click. And then eventually I take away half the notes, which in this case would make the click eighth notes. And now I'm responsible for half half the time and the click's responsible for half the time. Then I take it away to quarter notes. So my third step, maybe 45 minutes deep into my practice session, is where most people would start, which is a quarter note metronome. And then I keep going from there, and so I'm responsible for more and more of the time. Yeah, that's think, just one of the many things I do. I think for me, that's that's the way I I don't do it step by step every time, but I definitely spend a certain amount of practice time every day with all the subdivisions clicking, and a certain amount of time every day with almost none of the subdivisions clicking, or a loop that doesn't have an obvious downbeat or something like that. So I'm I'm always kind of like volleying back and forth between micro time and macro time, micro time yeah. and macro time, and that Absolutely. way. I'm 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 sharpening my hearing for subdivisions, but at the same time, I'm sharpening my awareness of 
larger spans of, of time in my internal mm-hmm. pulse. I did a clinic. Oh, by the way, shout out to Rocky's Music Studio up near Albany, New York, for having me out last weekend. That was awesome. Great crowd. Um, great question, too, about this. Um, and, and it was, should I be practicing with a gap click? And I, my response was, no, you should not. Not if you can't bury a click at 16th notes, 8th notes, off beats. Because for me, the game, when you start practicing with a metronome that drops out randomly, all it's doing is telling you where you're wrong. It doesn't give you any solution to the problem. So right. I use the gap click as a final step. Do I really think I can hear an entire measure of 120 BPM accurately? Let me test it. Nine times out of ten, you're going to realize no, and you got to go back to quarter notes, eighth notes, off beats, right. all the subdivisions. So I don't condone that. Only as a, a final step of do I really have this nailed? Let me just put on a, a metronome that drops out. But if you just start with that, you're always going to be fishing. You're always going to be shooting targets, right. and you're I not going to know I, how to fix it. I put a gap click into the world of drum games. You know, I, I would get if I had five or six drummers here and we wanted to just blow off some steam it's like all right we're doing gap click and you have to improvise during the gap and we're laughing at how off it is but yeah. i don't consider it to be like now we're really getting into it's not the good effective. stuff it's almost like no. a, like like basic training for the military like it's right. going to beat you down and it's going to make you feel like crap and it's not going to give you a way out <laughs> you're just going to yeah. realize i suck i'm rushing i'm dragging i'm overcompensating yeah <laughs> I, I mean and i think that you know Ash kind of said it best to me, which was like I've he was like, I've just never had a, a producer press the mute button on the click for a whole bar while I was tracking a song. So why would I ever do that to myself? <laughs> like, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Every so other bar somebody's pressing the mute button. I did have someone do that to me early on uh, because there was like an extra. It was like it, it was before you could program tempos to change and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So there were like a couple bars where it had to change, and then I had to jump back into a new click, and it it was not cool. But that was the one time, and and that would probably never happen again now because you can program a metronome to shift after eight bars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing I would suggest is pr- go back to practicing counting your pulse out loud while you play everything. Uh, that's been the most recent great. Uh, humiliator for me is can I play basic snare drum patterns and count the quarter note, count the 16th notes inevitably there's going to be a spot where I think I can but my counting just gets really strained and I'm like alright there's there's an accent on the E or the uh that's throwing my awareness of the pulse off that's the red flag for the spots where I might rush or drag the right. tempo so count out loud again it sucks, it's painful but I think it's really important and it's usually the first thing as a young student they get nervous about and they stop doing like i don't want to count out loud i'm not going to do it anymore and then we as teachers like all right well he's just a shy he or she's just a shy kid i'm not going to force them to count out loud but it's really doing a disservice to your sense of time by not doing that counting out loud is the first step especially if you're just counting the coordinates i i think we confuse people sometimes where they think that we're talking about going one and a two and three and a four and we're not talking about counting everything you play we're talking about the pulse but i remember will kennedy when we were i was struggling through this yellow jackets tune that he had me working on and we were doing video exchange because he lives in texas and i live here and he said hey watch your body at this point in the song and watch what your body thinks the pulse is. This is why you mm. sound so weird there. And it was a very complex thing. But 
there's still a quarter note. It wasn't like it wasn't in four four. There's still a pulse. Yeah. And I all of a sudden and it was it was funny. I my body grooved quarter notes during the A sections, during the B sections, and during all the fills, my body either was still or just was shucking and jiving the random notes and he's like you know there's a pulse through that stuff right and it, and so just even feeling the pulse um and being able to count it out loud while playing those improvised patterns and phrases that's what makes and that's what why will grooves even if he's soloing there's yeah. an overriding pulse over the whole thing so i think the pulse is the key to having good time and if whatever you're playing causes you to sit completely still hold just to breath. play it yeah <laughs> yeah hold your breath it's probably you shouldn't be playing it. it's probably too complicated for you All yeah right. yeah yeah my last word would be always practice time whatever you're practicing time should be a part of it you should never practice double stroke roll with no sense of time or or linear right. licks with no sense of time like Agreed. if you want to get better at time it needs to be part of everything and it needs for me it needs to be you cannot overlook it you can't say uh i'll, I'll tighten up the time later no Tighten up the time no, now. <laughs> time is not the polish. Right? Yeah, right. Di- for me, dynamics, that's polishing the car. But uh-huh. time is not that. Time yeah. is the engine. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. All right. Pick let's of the weeks. Uh, get into some pick of the weeks. Um, okay, I'll go first. Mine is actually ties right in with what we were just talking about. My pick of the week is the Gary Chafee book, Rhythm and Meter Patterns. I've had this book since probably 1995. It's all yellowed and grayed up. And I am working on page 16, which may seem like it's far into the book. It's actually the first page of, of exercises. And here's what I'm doing with it. Uh, it's just... All it is is a 2-4 bar of all the subdivisions. So 2-4 bar of eighth notes, 2-4 bar of triplets, uh, 16 quintuplets, all the way up to 32nd notes, and then combinations of one beat of eighth notes in each of the subdivisions, so on and so forth. Okay. What I'm doing, because I've practiced this stuff ad nauseum for years, and I'm still still refining it, but what I just started doing yesterday, the metronome is on the off beat. So it's on the and of every note. So if I can play, obviously, eighth notes, it's going to line right up with it. As soon as you switch to triplets, now you're playing a three against two polyrhythm because the click is on the and. Sixteenth notes, you're back in your comfort zone. Quintuplets with an offbeat click. That was like, okay, I can't play quintuplets. I thought I could. I can't do it. So It's so weird, right? (laughs) I mean, it's just it's weird how much we need things to match up and line up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm tapping my foot the whole time. It's it's that ex- exactly what you were talking about. My brain just goes to mush, and I can't trust myself. So right. uh, get this book, Rhythm and Meter Patterns, if you want to join in my mania. Uh, definitely master them with a quarter note click before jumping into the offbeat click. And I put mastering them in quotes because you'll never master them. But if you want a great humiliator, <laughs> put an offbeat click and then try to play triplets and quintuplets against it. It ain't easy. All right. My pick of the week is a video this time, and it actually has to do with drumming. Holy crap. Oh, my. I'm I'm actually getting back into being a drummer. Uh, So uh, I'm sure most of you have seen on Instagram or maybe even on Facebook these little clips from uh, Vic Firth's VF jams that were done last year. This isn't brand new stuff by any means. Uh, This was actually filmed in January of 2018. But I was showing my band last night. We were talking about Sput 
and I was saying, you know, he arranged all of this music. Like all mm-hmm. these artists, Matt Garska, Benny Greb, they all sent their songs to Sput. Then he arranged everything and played keys on everything for these artists and their songs. Mm-hmm. And we were watching the Benny Greb one. And as amazing as the drumming is, which it truly is. I mean, Benny is at a whole nother level right now. Just the overall song, like what it would have taken to put this thing together. There's vocalists in there. There's a huge horn section, multi, multiple keys, multiple guitars, bass and everything. And it's just it's just a fun hang. I'm saying this as a Vader artist. So Yeah, yeah it's funny. You know, I, I was talking to Mark Giuliano about that whole event and – he said, "You know, everyone played great, and it was an amazing experience. But the real, the real all star of the whole thing was Sput because he had to arrange all of that stuff. He had to, he had to rehearse the band and actually do a lot of the, some of the pieces are original pieces that he composed. So it's right. it's pretty impressive. That dude is next level musical genius. <laughs> so let me just to to just cap that off. I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but let me just read you a text he sent me yesterday that." I don't even know how to respond. Um, uh, let's see. I hope all's well. I've treated you all. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I'm also awaiting the next time I get to share with you. You'll be surprised how much I've learned now. Oh, no. Like he's trying to <laughs> tell me. It's so funny. Like he, he it's like, he's like, no, I'm really starting to get it. And I'm like, bro, I have no idea what you're doing. Like you're so far beyond me, man. I've. And I just love that he he really thinks like th- that's how he thinks. Yeah. He thinks he's still like just kind of coming up on the instrument, and I mean he's and and it's just amazing. So yeah, check out uh, if you want to do it. Please watch it on YouTube. I want you to watch the full thing. So it's just hashtag VF Jams Live, and then you can obviously watch Mark Benny or whatever. But I was I was watching the Benny one last night and was just blown away by the arrangements that Sput put together. So. I guess my pick of the week is Sput. <laughs> if you don't know Robert Sput Seawright, check out his band, Snarky Puppy, obviously, and Ghost Note with uh, Nate Worth. Yeah. 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 Uh, really, really cool stuff. So, all right, buddy. Well, we did it. We got through the first of 2019, finally, Not officially. Bad. Not bad. <laughs> all right. Well, if you guys liked it and you would like to help us out a little bit, please head on over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and give us a five-star rating and a review. That is how other drummers find this podcast, and that truly does mean the world to us. Do I think it will help this podcast grow? Yes. Yes, I do think that. <laughs> cool. I got it out of my system for the whole year. I don't ever need to do that crap again. I'm so nervous about what I'm saying. Don't ever ask yourself a question, Mike. Don't ever do it. <laughs> I know I never call myself an influencer. I know that. That's a given. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I'm going to come up with a new name for influencer so I can drop that into a hashtag. Oh, um, I would rather someone call me an innovator than an influencer any day oh, of the week. Absolutely. Any absolutely. Day of the week. Yeah. Or just All right, an, everybody. an employed drummer. How about that? <laughs> that's that's the dream for all of us, right? That, that was That's my oh. dream for all my students is like, please text me the day that you pay all of your bills through nothing but the drum set. <laughs> I will. I will tell you that is the day that you have made it. If you want, if you want more after that, that's a cherry on top. But if you pay for all of your bills through the drum set, whether it's tuning them, writing about them, it doesn't matter. But it's through the drum world, then you've made it. Yeah, and that's yeah. all. At some point, we should probably have a conversation about what does it mean to be a professional drummer in 2019, because right. it's a whole different world. 
Yeah, if you're going to crush it in 2019, you got to bring that content. your influencer game. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great, great week. We will see you guys next week. Hey, how about Tom's beat? <laughs> Tom's killing it in 2019. Uh, All right, this is Tom. How you say his last name? Yeah. <laughs> Dublier? Um, oh, Dublier. Dublier. Yeah. I made that up, by the way. But Tom is one of our students. I just don't know how to do his last name. He, he hasn't made a lot of videos. Got to introduce himself. Now, this is Tom's B. He's playing a big uh, 16 by 24 inch bass drum. Um, no, no kick drum mic, he says. So it's just one mic between the snare, ride, and bass drum. So this sounds great. No excuses for uh, not getting great sounds with minimal gear. Holy cow. All right, well, Bye. let's roll. <laughs> let's get out of here. Uh. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.